Our scripture passage today comes from John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he, he they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, uh, we need his help. So let us begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your spirit is at work as we hear it, as we apply it to our lives. We pray that you would give us ears to hear today what the Spirit says, that it may have its full work in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are continuing in our sermon series uh, in John. And if you remember, in John chapter 10, this last week, uh, it ended with another climax where they wanted to put Jesus to death. Uh, Jesus had been equating himself with the Father. He said that uh, his sheep are secure in his hand. Nobody can take them from his hand or his Father's hand. He and the Father are one, and they picked up stones to stone him because, in their mind, his statement was blasphemous. He was equating himself with God. And so Jesus leaves, and they go to a place. They find some refuge. And uh, they get this report about a man named Lazarus. And there's a a bit here that can be confusing for us as we look at this passage. Uh, There seems to be uh, a a bit of a discontinuity between the timeline. Jesus gets this message and then he stays. Eventually we find out that when he shows up, Later on in chapter 11, it's been four days. And so there's a little bit of questioning that comes to mind as we read this passage. And I want us to dig into some of those questions today. I want us to understand what this teaches us about how God is at work. Uh, Especially as it reveals to us not just this one little incident, but how this incident, as we back it up, 
shows us about how God is at work in all things. And the big point we have for us today is a simple one, and that is that there are no mistakes in the kingdom of God. Jesus never made a mistake. Nothing has ever happened in the world by mistake. And we see this as God is at work, as Jesus is responding to this situation in three points. That God is at work both in good times and in bad times. God is using good things and bad things for his purposes. And that's what I mean by mistakes. Not that there's never been any mistakes taken place, but that God has allowed these things to happen for his purposes. Both good and bad. The second point is this, that Jesus is compelled to act by his love. And third is that Jesus puts himself at risk. So our first point, God is at work through difficult, good, and bad circumstances. We see this report coming that Lazarus has fallen ill. And Jesus gets this report, and it tells us that it comes from Mary and Martha. And what's interesting here is that the story of of Mary and Martha, the story of the anointing of Jesus' feet, doesn't actually happen in John's gospel until chapter 12. So John is presuming that people already know. This is such a well-known story about what Mary and Martha have done. They're known entities, Jesus' friends, that John can refer to them as those ones who did this thing. And his readers would have fully understood, just as we do, as we've heard these stories, no doubt, before. And we're told that their brother Lazarus is ill. And we see this first response from Jesus, and he says, this illness does not lead to death. But then just a few verses later, we see that it does lead to death. And so we can have a different, uh, perhaps, problem with this passage and to think, well, did Jesus get it wrong? Or is there something else happening here? Of course, as people who have a high view of Scripture, who know who Jesus is, this sinless, divine God-man, we know that Jesus was speaking in an ultimate sense, that though this illness may cause Lazarus to die, ultimately it will not stay that way. But we're told right after this statement in verse 4 that This is happening, that this isn't going to lead to death. It's happening for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And it's a really interesting statement for us to consider as you think about what it must have been like for Mary and Martha to have sent this letter to Jesus, to see their brother so ill that they're pretty much you know, convinced that something needs to happen, miraculous things need to happen for their brother to be saved. So they are going to send a note to Jesus, send word to Jesus to come and to intervene. You would think that, uh, you know, perhaps Jesus would just do a miracle from afar. He's done that before, healing a man's son with just his word. And yet, Jesus allows this illness to take its course. And you have to wonder sometimes, why does this have to play out the way it does? Why does the pain have to come? Why did the death have to be four days before Jesus would show up. 
We aren't given all of the answers to those questions, but we are given this ultimate answer that it is for the glory of God, that God will be glorified through the circumstances, and in particular, Jesus will be glorified through it. Of course, we know on the other side of this, we know how this story plays out. We know that in a few verses later, Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. And of course, that is going to bring Jesus this great glory. He is ultimately culminating his entire public ministry to this point. You see, Jesus has been getting more and more intense in his interactions with the religious leaders. And this is going to be his last real public miracle, and it is going to cause them to ultimately pursue his death, and they'll be successful. Jesus coming to bring life to a dead man is the thing that will cause, ultimately, his passion to begin. The betrayal, the handing over, the the beating, ultimately his death on the cross, it all starts at this miracle. And so sometimes we think about this idea of glory, that Jesus is going to be glorified through this, that people are going to see Jesus uh, raise this man from the dead. And of course, that's the way in which he will be glorified through this. And yet I think Jesus is going to show his glory in another way, because ultimately his glory is not finished in just this miracle. And In fact, his glory is going to be more fully displayed in his own death. As the Father glorifies his Son through his death and his resurrection, this is pointing to something that is far greater than just the death and resurrection of a man, Lazarus, in a temporary sense. And it's easy for us to see these details, to see that, well, okay, Lazarus died, God allowed him to die, and then Jesus is going to raise him from the dead, and everything is going to be great. God is at work in this bad circumstance. And there was just a few days where they had to work it out. But I want us to think a bit more big picture than this, because we don't have the answers to all of the difficult circumstances in our lives. Jesus doesn't show up four days later every time one of our loved ones falls ill. When we have people who die, he doesn't show up and raise them from the dead. We don't have the rest of chapter 11 in our lives. And so what are we to do with this statement? What are we supposed to do with this interaction? Are we supposed to just assume that God is uninvolved? that there is no glory of God in our difficult circumstances. No, I think there's a far greater application for us. Even this circumstance here as Lazarus has fallen dead and ultimately will be brought back to life. We are told later on that the, the religious leaders want to put Lazarus to death as well because of his great testimony. And ultimately, Lazarus will die his earthly death. And so, as we look at this story, it's this little example about the way in which God is at work, and the way in which God will be glorified, and the way in which Jesus will make all things new with this man, and this death, and this little resurrection. 
But as we pull that back, as we uh, zoom out over the history of the world, this is pointing us to something greater about how God is at work in all circumstances. Indeed, we may not see resurrection in our lives. We may not be delivered from our current ailments. The coronavirus will not go away tomorrow. And yet, this points us to something far greater, that God is indeed at work, and it will bring him glory. And ultimately, Jesus is not just the temporary resurrector, bringing somebody back to life for a longer time to live in this earth. But this is pointing to the far greater reality of a resurrection to eternal life, the theme that Jesus has been presenting to us throughout this gospel that those who believe in him will be given eternal life to dwell in the presence of God, that they may know the Father and the one whom he has sent. And so when we read these passages, when we see this type of miracle, it doesn't just give us this great hope that, of course, this happened historically, but that it tells us something greater about how God is at work in not only good times and in mediocre times, but in difficult times. Just as it is impossible for any mere man to raise somebody from the dead, it is impossible to undo all of the evil in the world and our ultimate deaths into the grave at the end of our lives. And yet, Jesus is showing that he is no mere man. As he will confess later on in this chapter, he is the resurrection and the life. As we get into the story a little bit, Jesus hears this. He makes this confession that he is going to be glorified through it. We're told that when he hears that he is ill, Jesus stays where he is for two days. He doesn't quickly get up and go to try to intervene before it's too late. And we remember that part of Jesus' testimony is that he is constrained by the Father's will. He is not doing anything by his own strength, but perfectly obeying what the Father has sent him to do. And if we get the timeline figured out here as we realize he shows up on the fourth day, essentially we understand that Jesus wouldn't have been able to make it there anyways. Because he waits two days, by the time he gets there it's four, and and Lazarus has been in the tomb now for four days. And so Jesus is not reactionary. Jesus didn't make a mistake by not leaving right away. But we don't want to see this passage and see the way Jesus acts and think that he's acting in some sort of selfish way. In fact, I think it's important for us to highlight the way in which the people in this story are described. The message that went to Jesus didn't say, hey, our brother Lazarus is ill. No, the message says this, verse 3, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He whom you love. Jesus loved Lazarus. And then we see in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. Jesus is one who has a real relationship with these people. These are people that Jesus cares about deeply. The pain that they are feeling, Jesus will feel as well. 
These aren't just generic people out there. Remember when we talked about Jesus being the good shepherd and how he calls his sheep by name? Jesus knows Lazarus' name, and he loves him, and he loves Mary and Martha. This is a family that he cares deeply about, and he goes in his love for them. It is the message of all of the revelation of God. His great love for his people is what compels him to act. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believed in him would have eternal life. God is always acting in love towards us, even in these circumstances that seem dire, even when it seems like it could have gone a different way. Maybe God should have done something differently, but we can be confident in this. The way he is acting isn't because he doesn't love us. In fact, just as Lazarus is the one whom he loved, so it is for all of God's people. Whatever circumstances we are facing, God is at work. And he is working in a way that's showing his love for us. He has not left us to our own devices. He has not abandoned us. But he loves us. And it's through his love that he acts. And how do we see where this love brings Jesus. It brings us to our last point. Now, they get to this idea where Jesus has this supernatural understanding that Lazarus has passed. Lazarus has died, tells his disciples. And now it's time to go. He's fallen asleep and I'm going to go wake him up. Jesus knows what he's going to do. He's waited until the Father has prompted him to go. And now he must Go and do this last great miracle for the one whom he loves. And his disciples are dumbfounded. They just left this scene in the temple where Jesus was almost put to death for blasphemy. And they say, really, we're going to go back to Judea? Jesus is compelled by love to act And he goes and puts himself at great risk. He goes to the place where his disciples are afraid to go. In fact, Jesus says he's glad that Lazarus has died, that he wasn't there to stop it so that his disciples will believe. It's one of the other purposes through which God will be glorified, through which the Son will be glorified in this instance. Remember at the end of John chapter, uh, in John chapter 20, he tells us why he wrote this gospel. He said, Jesus did many other things, but these were written so that you may believe, and that by believing Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you may have life in his name. Jesus is glorified by those who believe in him, fulfilling the Father's will to keep those to whom he has given him. And that's part of what's happening here in this interchange. They are going to see what Jesus is capable of. They are going to see an unprecedented miracle, the height of his public ministry. And then we see this interesting response from Thomas, who says, to the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. In the mind of Thomas, in the mind of the disciples, to go back to Judea is a death sentence. 
Jesus wants to go to Lazarus. And Thomas says, Jesus, you're going to die. I guess we're going with Jesus to die. And then what a great confession. What a great image of what it means to follow after Christ. Those who have become uh, so convinced that this man is able to do things that they can't do for themselves, able to heal blind people, able here now to go and to raise Lazarus from the dead, that they will follow him even into the most adverse situations. Jesus, that good shepherd from chapter 10, who's going to lay down his life for his sheep, who will keep them safe. They don't need to be worried about wolves because he is a good shepherd and they understand who Jesus is. And they are willing to follow him even into death. To take up their cross and follow after Christ. It's a shocking statement. In fact, Thomas gets a bad rap as being the doubter. And yet Thomas, in many, many ways, is the one who says the most extravagant confessions of faith. And here they follow Jesus into great harm, potential great harm. And ultimately, it will lead to Jesus' death. And they understand the risk that Jesus is putting himself in as he goes to the one whom he loves. This is setting us up for the rest of chapter 11 as this will play out. And I didn't want us to get through, we could have just done this whole chapter in one sermon, but I believe it's helpful for us to stop and to pick out these details about how God is at work, how intentional Jesus is working through these circumstances. Because it informs how we live in our circumstances, how we view God's work in our lives. Jesus doesn't make mistakes in his kingdom. It can be easy to think that he does. It can be easy to think that he delayed unnecessarily, that he could have done something differently. It can be easy to feel unloved, that God is uninterested, that he has left us and forsaken us, that he has uh, resigned himself to a place of comfort, distant and removed. But this passage tells us something far greater than that tells us that God is at work even in the most dire of circumstances, even in death itself. That God loves his people deeply. And that he shows his love for us by putting himself at great risk. As we think about this and how it applies to our lives, as we think about this confession of Thomas, and how we ought to have that type of confession. And how often we do not. How risk averse we are with our faith. Well, I hope that we can see this little instance. And we can have a greater view of who God is as he is at work. That we don't just see Jesus putting himself at risk to go see his friend who has died that he doesn't just love these people, 
but that ultimately we see Jesus glorified as the one who goes to the cross to show us his love. That the death that we deserve, ultimately not just this temporal death, but the judgment of God for our sins, he has taken upon himself. He goes to Lazarus knowing that it will ultimately end in his death, but his death was not just circumstantial. It wasn't a mistake. Instead, it was a display of God's love for his people, his display of his love for particular people, for you and for me. Indeed, he allows us to have suffering in our lives, and we don't understand why and how he's at work. But we can have great confidence in the love of Christ who is willing to go even to death on a cross for the sake of his people. And we can follow him into dark places. We can follow him in uncertainty because he's not just the resurrection and the life for a man like Lazarus. He is ultimately the resurrection and the life for all of his people into eternity. May we see Christ for who he is. May we understand that the love he has for Lazarus and Mary and Martha is applied to us. May we understand that the difficult times in our lives, he will bring redemption through. And though we may not see the end of the chapter in this life, may we trust that he loves us and is acting in his good and our good, that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called by his name, that we might be saved through him. That when we see even death itself, we know Jesus is there and he will see us through it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Christ who has put himself through great trials and tribulation, even death, that we might see your love. Help us in our momentary weaknesses, in our difficulty, in, in all of the sadness of our life. Help us to trust in your work in the midst of it. Help us to see how it glorifies you and your Son. May it cause us to follow him and to love him. In his name we pray. Amen.